Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, is competition a benefit or a hindrance? We're told competition is key to the functioning of an efficient economy because nobody gets away with behavior that would be detrimental to the greater good. But what if the greater good is being missed out on because companies are too busy competing on things like price rather than working together on innovative solutions that they'd never be able to reach on their own? What if competition actually gets in the way of advancing society? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Now, Eve Poole, in her book, Capitalism's Toxic Assumptions, suggests competition is more destructive than positive. Uh, In truth, success and growth comes from collaboration, she says, and our reliance on competition has historically been driven by too much testosterone. Uh, But how can you develop a system where cooperation is effectively rewarded? So, uh, Steve, first of all, this is a book, and this is an economics book, which I have read. And you haven't. I didn't know such a book existed, but it's a good. It's a, it's a good book. So, uh, and now well, I've told you this, you've you've been on Amazon and you've ordered the bloody thing. So that's good. I have. So I'll see if I can read it while I'm flying back to Australia at Christmas time or something like that. Now, look. Let's start with a, a, an example of of competition gone wrong. Um, because I know you think a good model of competition, because we've spoken about this in the past, is a, a situation where you've got one dominant player in the market, but you've got lots of almost you know smaller companies, mid-sized companies who are competing, and they're the ones that are adding innovation so that innovation is challenging the big company so it can't get too big for its boots but you know sometimes um strength can be destructive card it so let's uh i want to give you an example on this on an, an area i know and understand i mean j- just imagine there's a big australian phone company i mean we won't you know let, let, let's not name names let's create a fictional name so we'll uh, we'll call it uh ostra and uh, they build a new mobile uh, base station in a small country town and everybody in that town now has access to a mobile phone, which they didn't before, but they've got to buy it from Ostra. And mm. nobody else is uh, going to want to build there because if they build a mobile phone tower, it's going to cost too much and they're going to divide the market. And it's not just not going to justify the expense of, of building another tower. So uh, in theory, uh, Ostra would say, well, you know, it's competition. You're welcome to, but we're using our, our market power uh, to, to extend our network as far as possible. And we are claiming 100% market share. That's not really competition, though, is it? Yeah, that's that's and that's the that's what that's the reality. And this is the unfortunate uh, thing that we have this vision that the, the neoclassical theory has an effective vision of costless entry and exit from markets. Um, so you can simply decide to go into a market and pull out again later. And of course, that simply is totally fictional because if you're going to uh, compete with Ostra in that uh, country town, let's let's call it Galagenbun. Um, <laughs> Then you you need to put a second tower in, in in presence, and having put that second tower in, you've got a sunk cost you can't get back again, and uh, and the you divide the market in two, so you make going from one profitable company to two failing companies. One then pulls out again later, 
and you have a huge amount of waste generated out of that to no to no positive benefit. And the competition regulator is never going to say anything about that because they're going to say, well, look, if we said something, uh, Ostra wouldn't have built in that town and we'd all be worse off. But, of course, if you look at collaboration, I mean, uh, if Ostra would allow other providers to use their tower, uh, then you would have competition. Or if Ostra and all the other providers said, well, actually, there's a whole load of areas which we can't get to because it's just not uh, – uh, it's too expensive for us to do it. But let's all coll- you know, collaborate. Uh, you'd extend the footprint of the mobile network and uh, and everyone would win. That's right. So you need a mixture of both competition and cooperation. And this is what mainstream economics is incapable of uh, of capturing properly because it makes simplifying assumptions like there can be costless entry and exit from a market. So what's your problem? I'm sorry, my problem is outside your assumptions. So that's, that's the real dilemma. So... Uh, again, the, the ideal situation in a telecommunications example would be to have either a nationally owned, a government-owned institution that is the provides the physical backbone, hmm. or you tell the companies, yeah, you tell the companies they've got to form a, a, a consortium that lays out the hardware, and then they can compete over the software. Yeah, uh, or, or they just do it themselves. And I think this is part of uh, you know Eve Paul's point in this book. Um, you know, very often our company is going to be better off if they collude. You know, for Forget about making it uh, the law if the companies just had the common sense. If all phone companies had gone, you know, you know why I was laughing when you talked about the government owning the infrastructure, because mm. those people not familiar with Australia, I mean, the government uh, uh, said about building the national broadband network. And by all accounts, you know, the whole thing's ended up as, a, as an expensive disaster through, uh, uh, f- through various reasons. But if all phone companies had colluded and said, well, look, you know, we need to build this national broadband network and we, you know, we'll all get a share of the revenue revenue that's probably not there now plus we have the opportunity to develop you know benefit from new services that are going to run on it and that's where we can all create our uh, competitive difference if there had been adults in the room with a good sense to realize that rather than one of them saying well no you know we own uh, you know the vast majority of telecommunications in this country and we're just going to make it difficult for everybody else if there'd been that sense of collusion then the country would be better off the industry would be better off and people would be spending more on telecommunications if that had been common sense uh, adopted well, at the time. Spending, spending less than they're spending right now to get, to get a higher quality service. That's, that's the real dilemma. Yeah, I but mean, they'd also be buying other stuff as well. You know, there'd be yeah, opportunities yeah, for, yeah. You know, like, you know, the, uh, you just look in, in this country, in the UK, and then, you know, it, it's unheard of that you wouldn't be running TV over the internet and buying services. Whereas in, in Australia, it's still a bit unique, I think, because the broadband's not up to it. That's right, and it's it's, it's Australia's actually in, in many ways it's a it's a it's a classic case of, of getting an obsession with competition screwing everything up. Yeah. Uh, not just not just the uh, the government side of things where you know let's, let's name names. I mean Malcolm Turnbull was given the job of of shafting the NBN by Tony Abbott uh, to undermine the was it the Rudd government at the time of the Gillard? I lose track, uh, and so they they forced changes on the on the network when they took over that made it unworkable. And the whole thing is a complete mess. But a large part of it was a belief that there should be competition at every level rather than occasions collusion. And the collusion uh, can be something which gives you a, a base technology that lowers the cost for everybody and it becomes effectively it's a common resource. And in, in that situation, collusion, getting together and cooperating is far more effective and with economic theory makes it impossible for people to understand that there can be a balance between collusion and cooperation. Well, yeah, and, and Eve Poole in this book does, does make this point very well and she says part of the problem is men. 
you know, because men are, uh, you know, the focus in in men, you know, the testosterone in our system has this whole fight or flight thing. Uh, and so we see business as a competition that they must win. You know, it's a zero sum game. So the aim is to knock out the competition rather than focusing on creating anything new. You put a man into a, a senior position and the first thing you'll do is say, well, uh, OK, who's the competition? How can we knock them down to size, you know, so that they either cease to exist or so we can buy them? Um, you know, it's the the gains are always at the expense of your competitor rather than, you know, saying, well, competitors are there. But, you know, how do we grow our business? And that that's very much a male thing, isn't it? How do I knock the competition? It's, 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 it's also an it's also a, an Asperger's like autistic thing. And frankly, <laughs> uh, it, and I've, I've seen it, and enough women getting to positions of power have got the same characteristics. Right. You, basically, there's something about a structure that encourages sociopaths to get to the top. Um, so it, it, I'd say testosterone is definitely a role, but so, but so is, so is a, a, a form of Asperger's getting in the way as well and just not even seeing the social structure you're trying to promote. So that's, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I take the point of the testosterone point. I saw enough of that at the INET conference myself a couple of days ago uh, in terms of how that was designed. But it comes down also to, dis, to having a dysfunctional personality is, is a positive advantage in getting to the top of large organizations and also uh, the academic world. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but fund- fundamentally, we, we haven't understood there can be a balance between cooperation and, com- uh, and, and competition. Mm. And it, ecosystems show us this. This is quite remarkable. Uh, George Monviot was involved in a documentary recently to look at what was the impact of bringing back wolves into I think it was the uh, Yellowstone National Park in America. And before that was done, the dominant animal in Yellowstone were, the, I think, the deer or the um, whatever you – they would be big deer, elks. Uh, Not they sure. Were the top, they were the top um, prey, effectively, but there's no predator above them. When they brought the wolves back in, uh, what the wolves did was to mean that they drove the, the – let's call them elks uh, – away from the open plains into the forested regions. There was therefore less eating of trees, tree plantings that fell in the grassed areas, therefore more trees developed, the level of forests increased. That gave beavers a chance to come back into the system uh, and the entire ecosystem improved uh, in, a, in what you might imagine as a cooperative sense because of the introduction of a, of a competitive element, which was a chief predator that had been removed earlier. So there's a, in other words, we have a very evolutionary complex web where sometimes what one species does assists what another species can do as well. Mm. And the same thing applies in the economy. But because we have this totally competitive uh, oriented vision, then it's competition, 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 and collusion must be banned. And a lot of government uh, policy is based on the economic theory that says we should prevent firms getting together and colluding. And that partly sets up the mindset that leads to this testosterone type factor we're talking about in the first place. Yeah, I and mean, yeah, it is. I mean, that makes a good point about the you know maintaining the some sort of ecosystem, isn't it? And then Eve Poole in this book, which you uh, which I've read and you haven't. Uh, just thought <laughs> I'd get it in again. Uh, she compares it to uh, competition with sport. So in sport, you play a game, uh, but you want the competition to survive because, you know, next Saturday, you've got to have someone uh, else to play against. And uh, because you've got those competitors surviving, you have to get better and they have to get better. So everybody wins. Whereas in business, you know, we do the opposite. We tend to destroy the competition, destroy the league as well until we're left on our own and we don't have to worry about getting better. 
And there's also another element of that, which is quite a, quite a practical, a simple practical one. Uh, if you're working in industry, you don't want, like a car industry, you don't want one car to have the driving wheel uh, on the left side and the other on the right. Uh, you want to have the brake pedal on the, you know, on, on, on the same side, no matter which car you get into. Uh, but if, if you, and that comes out of cooperation. So, for example, the most recent, was it, was it USB-C, the, the latest form of USB port, mm. uh, which is, it doesn't matter which way you put it in, whichever way you put it in, it goes in the right way. Uh, it can be used for power as well as signals, and you can use it for video as well as for, uh, for sound, uh, as well as for data transfer. Now, that took a committee of people from different firms getting together to say, here's our jointly agreed standard. So we're all going to produce exactly the same interface. So one, ultimately, rather than having you know, one plug for your Samsung device, another plug for your Apple device, yada, 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 you'll have one simple standard. So consumers actually benefit out of that level of collaboration by firms. But how do you control it? That's the thing. And, and where do you draw the line? Because, I mean, regulators, I mean, the law in the UK basically says anything that prevents or distorts competition is prohibited. Or dis- I mean, preventing competition, you may be, but distorting competition, as we've just discussed, might actually be, you know, it depends on your interpretation of it. I mean, it's a fairly broad approach, isn't it? Yeah, and this is, you simply have to take a, uh, like an, an intelligent approach of saying, what is the effect of, a, of, of making competitive rollout of something versus cooperative rollout? So the, the telecommunication cards always been one of my classic examples because if you have in a Galaga bone gets one tower owned by one uh, distributor, you get an effective local monopoly. Mm. Now, part of the theory is saying we need competition. Uh, then you, but if you require the competition, I mean, you've got to put another tower in there. The market's not big enough to support the two towers, so the system collapses and you only get the one. So if you actually want competition there, what you have to have is say, what blend do we do of, of, the, of, the, of the rollout to make a cooperative level that means there's lots of competition? And this is the, again, they, they can't cope with irony. Cooperation can lead to competition. So uh, if you had a single tower being erected, owned by God knows what, whether it's a consortium or it's a government-owned and so on, and then multiple service providers being able to use that to broadcast and providing different uh, different cost structures and different incentives, different services over it, then you get a very competitive market and little old Lagenbone and it might become a technological hub. But uh, at the moment, uh, it's a backwater because there's only monopoly, uh, it charges what it likes, and you, and, and you therefore have restricted creative side of people's use of that technology. Well, isn't it isn't it curious in that in that situation that somebody else wouldn't come along and knock on the council's door? I guess it's it's all in the timing, isn't it? And say, look, uh, you'll probably get an approach from Austria uh, saying they want to build a tower here. Uh, why don't you let us build a tower? We're a separate tower building company, and we sell to everybody. So if you allow us to build the tower, we'll go to every telco and say, look, you, do you want to be on it? And then you'll have competition in your town. I mean, it, it, it's strange that didn't happen. Well, then that, that's where the testosterone really does come in because the old boys' network gets in the way. It all goes to Chelsea and there's a bit of a back deal you and I don't see uh, that ensures that that uh, competitive provider doesn't get off the ground. So, um, you know, so back uh, on the, so back on that testosterone thing. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. That's exactly what happened, which is distorting uh, probably what you would expect mm. to happen uh, if uh, you know if 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 we're uh, working in a vacuum. But uh, Eve Poole's point is that women are much more focused on tend and befriend rather than uh, fight or flight. So uh, more women on boards, she reckons, does build a more collaborative approach with competitors. And if you know, and so to getting more women I out just, there is part of I, the, I I can, the answer. 
I can see a possibility of that. But what the, the, the point which is being missed in the way conventional theory thinks about it was actually very well covered by one of the one of the very, very simple, very great little models in economics by a guy called Hertz Telling. And he said, uh, you know, normally we argue competition is best and you shouldn't have any market controls that will make the system work less well. But he said, imagine an ice cream seller on a beach where the customers on the beach are uniformly distributed. So you've yep. got something like, you know, Manly Beach in Sydney or you've got, um, you know, the main beach in, in uh, Buenos Aires. Um Buenos Aires in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro, um, if you, the best place for the ice cream seller, if there's one, is right in the middle of the beach. So if, if, if you say the beach is two kilometres long, uh, the maximum you've got to walk is one kilometre. If you have a second competitor, the best position for the society as a whole is that that person locates at the uh, one point, uh, one to the two-thirds of a kilometre mark and the other one moves to the one and a, one, one and two thirds mark effectively. One, one and one. Yeah, I've got my math mixed up. But, but going so to the one third, two thirds position. Yeah. Now, in fact, what happens is, uh, if if the one if they actually statistic, say it's a kilometre long beach, your best situation is one provider in the middle. There's only one provider, so for the five hundred kilometre mark, five hundred meter meter mark. But if you then have a, a second one, you'd want one at three hundred meters and the other at uh, six six hundred and sixty. Meters, yeah, and everybody walks again. It reduces the distance everybody has to work from maximum half a kilometer to maximum, you know, effectively one sixth of a kilometer. But the if one of those then moves right next to its competitor, uh, so you have them both located at the two thirds of a kilometer mark, then the one at the two thirds of a kilometer mark gets half the market uh, above them and mm. all of the market below, and that is socially undesirable. So what happens is. Uh, competitive pressures will mean all the ice cream sellers locate at the middle of the beach and everybody has to walk up to half a kilometre to get to their ice cream. Yeah. So you're with regulation saying, no, a second competitor, first one has to move to the 300-metre mark, the second goes to the 700-metre mark, and therefore we're benefiting the consumers. They walk less a lower distance and we're likely to sell more ice creams. Now, that's exactly the analogy you're talking about. And there's, there's, a, there's a good fundamentally mathematical model of that which says in that case we should have collaboration between them or a, a, re a regulatory decision as to where they locate and that benefits the consumers. And this simple piece of wisdom is blocked by the supply and demand thinking that still dominates economics. Yeah, or it gets interpreted by the regulator and uh, the regulator gets it wrong. Yeah, uh, which is the other possibility. I mean, uh, but the trouble is regulators are often getting it wrong by enforcing competitions. Let's go back to that strange little country you called Australia earlier. Uh, you and I would, maybe another, you weren't, maybe you're not a resident then, but in the 80s, of course, they decided to have uh, optical fibre. This is before we had the internet, optical fibre for cable TV. Yeah. And they mandated that there should be two competitive rollouts of the cable. Uh, Telstra is one company. I oh, sorry, Ostra was one company, and the other was uh, Optus. And they were both in in, in my, the street I was in. Both dug up the street to lay optical fibre, so you had two sets of cables running down the one street. Yeah, they chased but, each other around uh, around the cities, basically, didn't but they? They? But they? But they also avoided each other in other areas where it simply wasn't profitable. So, Dun as I know from friends at the time, Dundas was a relatively wealthy uh, rural section in Australia, got zero cable because neither firm regarded as worth their while. It was just too far between houses for them to bother laying cable. So what you had was, consequently, a highly unsuccessful competitive rollout of optical fibre, and now they've topped it up with a highly unsuccessful competitive rollout 
uh, by the end of the centralized rollout uh, of uh, of um, internet uh, yeah. backbone, yeah. Uh, with government meddling getting in the way. So you know, two two complete first prizes for moronic behaviour by Australia, um, in both cases being obsessed with the competition. So it does get to the question, doesn't it, how you regulate all of this? Because you have that, you know, that that, that very stringent law that says, you know, you shouldn't distort uh, competition in any way. And the, the focus tends to be very often on price, doesn't it? Well, you know, well, what can we control? We can make sure that you're not uh, uh, behaving uh, in a predatory fashion with price. But, I mean, um, you know, it's... And look, I've, I think I mentioned to you before, I've been, uh, tell me if this is a bad thing. I've, I've been at a cocktail party. This was back in the 80s, actually. That's pretty really bad, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, was, this was in Australia. And a uh, group of sort of uh, middle-ranking airline executives were uh, sharing a, a glass of champagne each, a uh, bottle of champagne, I should say. And uh, they were talking about the prices that they were going to offer to Europe next summer mm-hmm. uh, and sort of more or less agreed on a price there there and then uh, that they were going to go out and sell so wow. um, but you know they weren't talking the price up they were talking about how low they could go to get the maximum number of customers so that is uh, obviously completely illegal that that conversation was going on mm. the only company the, the only people who are going to lose out from that comp- uh, conversation were the airlines that weren't involved in that conversation because they may have come out on the same day with a price that was higher uh, and then have to quickly respond but the consumer was getting a lower price because the whole conversation was, what can we offer? How can we make it cheaper so the market gets bigger next summer? Is that a bad thing or a good thing? No, I think sometimes this is a good thing. And um, and this is, again, it's, it's often a case of saying, let's not let an economist make the decision. Let's get an engineer in there uh, mm. who actually work out the individual costs involved in something and say what makes sense, what's going to be a, produce a better service overall. And an engineer looking at telecommunication would say, in every town, you need one major tower first off and then when the second tower is created it's got to be based on the the population distribution uh not the um the the hitting the most dense area so with a straight competitive rollout all the towers go over one building in the heart of the city because that's where the the major money is made and you forget about the suburbs uh with the engineer saying well let's locate now the first one in the major population center then further out to take the load and we share the cost between the different providers and they can all use these different towers. So it's an engineering approach. We really, I mean, economists are stuffed up so much, uh, particularly when it comes to new technology, we should be letting engineers make the decisions about how to roll it out uh, commercially rather than economists and politicians. Right. But I mean, there's so much to watch, isn't there? There's so much, uh, you know, so many lines of business doing so much every day. Uh, You know, how can the regulator have the finger in all of those pies? Here's another example. Say, you know, we've seen that a couple of newspapers have decided, interestingly, I think it was like the mail and the mirror to uh, uh, theologically opposed (laughs) newspapers. You know, they both preach from completely different opposite ends of the spectrum, but they've decided they're going to share costs by, uh, by printing at the same printing press um mm. and imagine if they pulled in other newspapers and said well okay let's all you know it's it's a big expense producing newspapers so let's all pull uh, the latest technology and uh, reduce our costs as much as possible that's a good thing isn't it until yeah, they, no, uh, until they yeah. say to one newspaper but you're not in on this uh so you're gonna have to run your own printing press and that newspaper goes out of business then that's a bad thing yeah yeah you've got um, uh, you have to have that recognition in the first place that first of all that you can a huge part of reducing costs and innovation is economies of scale. And there are some technologies where the economies of scale are so huge that uh, if you 
two two industries, two firms competing against each other will have a higher cost structure than one uh, one firm being a monopoly. This is the whole idea of increasing returns to scale. And that certainly applies with things like telecommunications networks um, and, and cable rollout and so on. Um, so in that situation, you want to have multiples getting involved, but you also want to make sure they can't exclude legitimate uh, competitors coming in and using the same facility. And that's the part where you need a certain amount of state regulation or state application mm. uh, to say, well, if you, if you fulfill these criteria, which themselves are a justifiable criteria, then you, we can't stop you joining up to that network. But we are so far, aren't we? Wherever you look, well, certainly in terms of the UK and Australia, the two countries that I know well, you know, and I've uh, and I've worked in the telecommunications industry, so I'm very aware of uh, of, of competition law. We are so far from having uh, an effective form of regulation, I guess, because. Uh, and, and because the, you know the, the, the regulation is largely focused on price, because that's the easiest thing to get hold of. Mm. Yeah, and, and it, but it, it's a difficult task to try and fix this because I mean, but, I mean, I think my point is it would be so huge, wouldn't it, to tr- to try and look at every single conversation that is being had between businesses to uh, and for somebody to be able to say, well, you know, that looks like that's going to uh, create a good collaborative outcome, where uh, and no, that looks like it's uh, it's just a a market power play. But it does come down to the economies of scale thing, and it, it, is it something which has got such enormous economies of scale that you do want to have a collaborative rollout of a network rather than having a competitive rollout? I mean, nobody would ever talk about you know ice cream manufacturing needing to be uh, you know such huge economies of scale that uh, that you're best to share the facilities to make the ice cream and then distribute it. For a start, uh, you know, part of your cost is actually refrigeration and immersion. That itself means you're likely to have a distributed network of those producers rather than a central location. So there are ways to look at the actual industry structure and the nature of the technology and say, okay, that's the, the most effective way is a collusive, centralised, uh, shared shared rollout and then competition around that infrastructure. In other cases, um, I mean, if you get centralisation, let, let, let lots of them compete. Yeah, yeah. I, but even, favorite, yeah. even if even if it's not not an, an economy of scale question, even if I mean, if, if a company says, "Oh, well, look, you know, th- this industry needs to move on to the next phase," and at the moment we are competing on on on, on whatever it is that we're doing right now, we could move off this phase uh, and, and onto the next opportunity if we all just work together. Uh, so I'd like to go and uh, knock on the door of company X and Y and get us all in a boardroom together and see how we can uh, m- move together swifter. But I can't do that because the regulators will be breathing down on X because they'll see that as being uh, uh, collusion or, or collaboration, and that's prevented by law. So, I mean, this fear that the regulator is going to see something as being anti-competitive, whereas actually these companies just want to move on, is, uh, is an example of the regulator slowing things down, which might be uh, not for the public good. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got to say what, what sort of things in, in terms of characteristic of industries, what ones should be regulated. And you can see them going through uh, a, a life cycle in effect that, um, for example, when you first had um, ra- railroads being run out, uh, the people who were doing that were seeing incredible profit coming out of the fact of bringing in a whole new technology, which replaces a previous one, which was, of course was carriages, horse-drawn carriages, to go from one location to another. And the profit advantage people running out the railroads could see was so extreme uh, that, of course, they got it wrong too, frankly, a lot of them. They've just made too many. But that built the amazing railway structure we see in the UK these days. Now, any attempt to regulate that on the basis of trying to prevent competition, but, uh, collusion between railways 
railroad companies would actually have failed to see that what's actually going on here is, in fact, competition between the industry called railroads and the industry called horse-drawn carriages. Yeah. And and there's a in that situation, you actually want that creative destruction to occur. Uh, and the, the, the whether it, you know, the, the, whether it, the, you have to leave that possibility of enormous profit to be perceived by entrepreneurs in the first place for them to invent something like railroads. And like I've seen this, my, my favorite, most recent example of that is uh, uh, Elon Musk's idea that he could use the BFR um, to not for just getting to Mars, but for replacing. Uh, intercontinental travel on Earth, which you know, taking say you know twelve hours to fly between continents uh, with with jets, with twenty minutes to fly between them with rockets, and in that case, you know if Musk is going to do it, he's got to make an absolute fortune out of the rockets, and good luck to him because that's that that potential for profit is a huge inspiration to get the technology to work. If you try to regulate at that stage and said, no, we can't let you have this rocket line until, um, what's his name, Bozo catches up and and uh, Branson catch up with their technology, we'd stimulate the industry before it gets a chance to develop. So you, you, you need an evolutionary understanding of all this and an engineering understanding, and unfortunately we have an economic one. Yeah, yeah. And we have a testosterone-charged one as well. So, I mean, uh, Eve Poole's suggestion at the end of the uh, the, the chapter is that, uh, you know, companies do need to collab- collaborate. Uh, it needs to be, uh, you know, we need to get rid of this destructive testosterone-based approach. We need more tendon befriend rather than fight or flight. And whether, uh, you know, whether it's it, it's men or it's just, uh, it's just the attitude of the people we're putting at the top of those jobs, we need people who have this more collaborative-focused uh, approach. And, uh, and and to get over the regulator issue, uh, you know, we should in- encourage this collaboration. We just need to document it somehow. We just need some way of saying, well, okay, these meetings are being held. Uh, the regulator can't keep an eye on all of it, but there needs to be uh, sort of, you know, almost records kept to show, look, we discussed this because we believed it was in the public good. This is what we're going on and doing. And uh, if it creates problems down the track, then you, I guess you've got a bit of a, a paper trail. I think that's in effect what she's saying. But, you know, let's not let's not stop collaboration because of the regulation. Let's uh, get the right people in the jobs and let's change this focus on uh, competition is, is not about destroying other companies. Yep, I think that sounds quite reasonable. I better read the book, hadn't I? Better go and read the book, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Uh, talk to you again soon, Steve. Okay, mate, bye. Now, next time, the productivity problem around the world. Productivity growth has disappeared. In fact, in the UK, from the first to the second quarter of 2017, productivity actually fell. So what's going wrong and how big a problem is it? That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.